Thanks for finding us. This is a message recorded at Fairfax Assembly in Bakersfield, California. You can find out more at fairfaxassembly.com. Tragedy, comedy, and fairy tale. That's what I want to talk with you about for the next few moments. Now, I've got to tell you, in all candor, uh, some of this I... Um, I talked about with the homeless people that we served on Thursday night. And by the way, if you, can, if you weren't there, get with somebody who was. It was a remarkable night. It really was. Um, God did some incredible things that we hadn't seen Him do before. But um, I brought part of this message to the crowd on, uh, on Thursday night about tragedy, comedy, and fairy tale. And I've got to tell you my expectations for you receiving this message are very high because several key times throughout the message, the homeless people applauded. It was that good for them. So my expectations of you are very, very high this morning. Tragedy, comedy, fairy tale. You, you know what tragedy is, right? Um, a lot of movies are tragedies. One of my favorites, The Great Escape, you may have seen it, stars Steve McQueen and a star-studded cast about a group of people, British, American, French, airmen, soldiers, that are prisoners in a German prisoner of war camp, and they plot a great escape. And it takes them some weeks and months to lay all the groundwork and come up with forged documents and sew phony uniforms and come up with a tunnel plan and an escape plan and who will go with who and how it's all timed and they've got it down like clockwork and the day comes and they tunnel through and they escape. All of them, a number of prisoners, they all escape. And they all scatter to the four winds just like the plan called for. But the German soldiers are after them and the bulk of the movie is how one by one by one, in spite of their best laid plans, all of them are tracked down captured or killed. And the one lone holdout is my hero, Steve McQueen. He finds a motorcycle, and he was a motorcycle enthusiast in real life. So he was in his element. He found a motorcycle, and he takes off ahead of the German army that's chasing him all over the countryside. But finally, the motorcycle gives out. It wrecks, and he's captured. And what makes it a tragedy, the great escape, is not necessarily the number of people that are killed or, or any of that, although that's tragic. The great tragedy is that the movie ends the exact same way it started with McQueen in the cooler. If you've seen it, you know it. Bouncing the baseball against the wall, just marking time. The tragedy is that nothing changed. That everything, for all their effort, stayed the same. Kind of makes me think of what the writer in the book of Ecclesiastes talks about. Futility of futilities. It all was pointless and came to nothing in the end. So you know what a tragedy is, but you know what a comedy is too. Now I can't vouch for every word and every scene in the movie, but planes, trains, and automobiles was with Steve Martin and John Candy, is a comedy. And it's not the gags, the sight gags, it's not the jokes, it's not the 
the lines, the funny stuff, the mishaps that necessarily makes it, by definition, a comedy. It's that these two guys who are very different and through a big part of the show, they want to have nothing to do with each other, very unlike each other in temperament, in, in every way, they become, at the end, good friends. And the absurd ending is, and this is what makes it a comedy, they end up spending Thanksgiving together. But you know what a fairy tale is too, right? Jack and the Beanstalk, Goldilocks and the Three Bears, the Ugly Ducklings, the Three Pigs, Red Riding Hood. You know fairy stories, and you know fairy stories always end the same way, and they lived happily ever after. You've heard them. But have you heard about the hobbies? It goes like this. An old man, an old woman, and a little girl lived in a house made of hemp stalks. And one night the hobbies came. Now the hobbies are these odd little creatures that destroy things. One night the hobbies came, and they said, Hobbya, 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 tear down the hemp stalks, eat up the old man and woman, and carry off the little girl. But little dog Turpy barked so that the hobbies ran off. But the old man said, little dog Turpy barks so that I cannot sleep nor slumber. And if I live till morning, I will cut off his tail. And in the morning, the old man cut off little dog Turpy's tail. And that night, the hobbies came back. And they said, hobbya, 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 tear down the hemp stalks, eat up the old man and woman, and carry off the little girl. But little dog Turpy barked so that the hobbies ran off. And the old man said, little dog Turpy barks so that I cannot sleep nor slumber. And if I live till morning, I will cut off his legs. And in the morning, he cut off little dog Turpy's legs. Now that night, the hobbyists came back, and they said, Hobbya, 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 tear down the hemp stalks, eat up the old man and woman, and carry off the little girl. And the old man said, uh, the dog Turpy barked, and the hobbyists ran off. And then the old man said, little dog Turpy barked so that I cannot sleep nor slumber. And if I live till morning, I will cut off his head. And in the morning, he cut off his head. And that night, the hobbies came back. And they said, hobbya, hobbya, hobbya. Tear down the hemp stalks. Eat up the old man or woman and carry off the little girl. And they tore down the hemp stalks. And they ate up the old man and woman. And they carried off the little girl in the bag. And they took her deep into the dark woods. And they hung the bag with the little girl up in it on a tree. And they would whack on the top of it with a stick and say, look at me, look at me. And the little girl was so broken and she cried and but but in the morning the hobbies took the bag down and they went and found holes in the ground because hobbies sleep during the day and while the little girl was crying in that bag a hunter came by with his big dog he opened the bag and saw the little girl and heard her story and so he took her out of the bag and he put the big dog in it and put it back under the tree and that night, the hobbies came, and they took a stick, and they whacked the top of the bag, and they said, look at me, look at me. And the dog jumped out and ate all the hobbies up, and there are no hobbies anymore. And the little girl with her new family, you know how it ends. She lived happily ever after. Well, that's a fairy story, fairy tale. We have tragedy, we have comedy, and we have fairy tales. Now, it occurs to me that what God is doing 
what God is doing in the world, what God is doing in us, what God is doing in us individually, what God is doing with us, with our cooperation, is all three of those things, tragedy, comedy, and fairy tale. Let me explain what I mean. Tragedy first. Tragedy first. Shakespeare wrote tragedies. But he's not the only one who dabbled in tragedy. We all know our share of that. Our our lives have tragic parts about them, don't they? There are plenty of tragedies in the Bible, even. Tragedy is when you're stuck. Tragedy is when circumstances circumstances are such that they paralyze you and you can't hardly do anything right. That's a true tragedy. And there are plenty of them in our lives and there are plenty of them pictured in the pages of God's Word too. And like us, those people in the Bible that are caught in tragedies are are wound up in unsolvable messes. Some of their own making, And the greatest of their messes and ours is the sin problem. It's the sin problem. Now, in a moment of psychological clarity, Paul describes our tragedies by putting it this way. He says, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I never want to do, I end up doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You see, that's our sin problem. We end up doing what we don't want to do, and what we do want to do, we can't. That's a tragedy, and we're paralyzed in that. Now, sometimes those are things of our own making. But always there are no good options. No good options. There's tragedy in our brokenness and in our fallenness. But that just seems to be part of being human, and that's tragic. Think about the woman who was brought to Jesus. She was flung on her face in the dirt of the street right in front of Him. She had been caught, they said, in the very act of adultery. Somebody set her up and somebody was watching through the window. But they caught her, and there was no denying her guilt, and so they brought her to Jesus and slung her down in front of him and said, what are you going to do about this one, Jesus? Are you going to soft-pedal this one, or are you going to uphold what our law says to do? She should be stoned. What are you going to do? And you know how the story goes. Jesus dealt with it by flipping it, by putting the guilt, the greater guilt, on those that really deserved it, the people that were the accusers. But she's left there at the end of the story, still with her face bowed to the ground. And Christ comes up to her alone and He says, Woman, where are your your accusers? And she says, There aren't any, Lord. And He says, Neither do I condemn you. Go and stop sinning. Don't do that anymore. That's her tragedy. Tragedy is is when we're incapable of doing anything about it. We're caught, and we can't do anything about it. And we realize that 
there's evil in the imagination of our hearts, and how do you escape that? So there's tragedy, but there's also comedy. We, what we're living, what God is doing is also a comedy. When I think about comedy, I think about absurdity. And there are certain things that are absurd in our life. And one of the biggest things is when we try and fix our problems, especially when we try and fix our sin problem, our guilt problem, we only make it worse. There's a great clip that you can pull off the internet and watch, and I encourage you to do it. It's from the old Candid Camera show. And they took a guy who had been a silver screen silent movie comedian, Buster Keaton, who himself lived a tragic life after his years of fame and degenerated into alcoholism, but they caught him in his old age and they put him at a lunch counter. And you know how the setup goes. They've got the camera rolling, hidden, and there are people around and they want to see how they will react to what Buster does. Now he sits down, the old guy does, and he orders a bowl of soup. But everything goes south after that. When he puts a little bit of pepper in, but somebody has unscrewed the lid, and he douses the whole thing with pepper. There's pepper all over the counter, and he begins to sneeze uncontrollably. And everything he does to try and make it better, he spilled soup, he scattered utensils, everything he does, because he's sneezing, makes it worse. And so he, he is trying to feed himself, but he sneezes, and the soup goes up in his face. He sneezes again, and down the spoon goes in the soup, and it splashes it all over the people around him. And people are wondering, what's going on with this guy? He sneezes, and his watch falls into the soup. He sneezes, and his glasses falls in the soup. He sneezes, and his hairpiece falls in the soup. Everything he does only makes it worse. Everything got worse for him, no matter what he did. And that's what happens when we say about our own lives and about our own sin, I'll fix it. I'll make it better. I'll do better. I'll turn over a new leaf. I'll make some promises that I intend to keep. I'll I'll make myself good enough for God. I'll fix this. And then when we try and make ourselves good enough for God, that inevitably means we try and hide things from God. And we shift the blame. And we explain our mistakes away, and we blame our lack of good breaks. And and it's crazy what we do trying to fix ourselves. Especially crazy when you consider what the Word says, that all of our righteousness, our best efforts, us on our best day, are like filthy rags. And so it's crazy, the thought that we can really change things, that we can really change ourselves for the better, we in those few moments of clarity and self-honesty, it's laughable, isn't it, to think that we can make ourselves better and fix it. So it's tragic. It's comedy. It's absurd to think we can fix it. But also, funny enough, frauds that we are, we're loved anyway. And that's where the fairy tale comes in. Let me tell you the greatest happily ever after story I've ever heard. Fantastically, it's true. But Father, Son, and Spirit, the perfect relationship. 
Everything is perfect. Everything is perfect. Love, perfect harmony. Who knows how many billions of years it went along. Just Father, Son, and Spirit. That's all there was. But it was perfect. And at some point, even before time, within Himself, God, Father, Son, and Spirit said, this is wonderful, this great dance that we enjoy of perfect love and perfect harmony. It's wonderful, but the only way we can make it better is share it. And so they begin with creation. When you read the book of Genesis, in the beginning God, read in the beginning relationship. The relationship began out of its love, began to form things, and out of chaos bring order. And creation takes place, and human beings are the end of that creation so that He can share love with us. He builds everything else, and it's perfect. And He begins to share that love, Father and Son, And Spirit begin to share what they have with us. But you know the story. Our first parents, in their rebellion, in their desire to do things their own way, they mess up. And on the first day of their mess up, God comes down in the cool of the evening, as was His custom, to have FaceTime with them. And He can't find them. And so the ugliest question I can imagine comes from the lips of God, where are you? And I think God asks that question a lot about a lot of people, where are you? And he goes searching and he finds that they're hiding and they're hiding because they now have a mythical idea about God. They believe he's angry, so they hide. But he's not angry. They're wrong about that. His heart is broken, but he's not angry. But in their myth, they believe he's angry. They run and hide. And and what happens is, over the years, people develop all kinds of wrong ideas about God. That's why the Greeks and the Romans and the Aztecs and all these ghoulish gods, because they have wrong ideas about the Creator. And finally, it reaches a tipping point where God says again within Himself, in that heart of perfect love, God says the only way to solve this is go down there ourselves. And so the God-man comes to set everything right and pull back the curtain and show us what the heart of God is really like and beyond that to invite us in to the perfect thing that they have. It's not just a trip to the altar. It's not just subscribing to a set of doctrines or beliefs or reading the Bible or any kind of religious exercise. What this is all about is Jesus comes to show us what God is really like so that He can extend the invitation to come into the relationship that is Father, Son, and Spirit. He invites us into what they have. That's the most incredible fairy story I've ever heard. But it happens to be true, and it ends just like every good fairy story should, and we all live happily ever after. But understand what this happily ever after is like. One of the most extraordinary fairy tale improbable things that happens when we enter into a relationship with God, when we enter into His relationship, is that 
Time is replaced by eternity, by happily ever after that really happens. Think of it like this. You're given the task and a teaspoon. And your task is to take every grain of sand on this planet, one at a time, and carry it to Mount Everest. And there, drop it. And go back and pick up another grain of sand. Take it to Everest and drop it. And when all of the sand of every beach, under every ocean, in every nook and cranny, windblown, has made its way in your spoon and dumped on Everest, your job will be done. But this is the rules. You pick up one grain of sand from the farthest beach, and you take one step toward Everest, and you wait 10,000 years before you take the second, and another 10,000 before the third. And that's how you get that one grain of sand to Everest. And then you turn around, and you take a step and wait 10,000 years, and then take another. And when every grain of sand on every far-flung beach, blown into every cave and crevice, from the bottom of every ocean, has been dumped on Everest, you will not even have taken a tiny nick out of eternity. That is our happily ever after. That's what God has got in mind for us. And so this thing that we're living is part tragedy and part comedy and a big part fairy tale. Because we are in the receiving end of the most unlikely of endings. And it comes about because of the cross. Everything you need is because of the cross. Happily, happily ever after, it takes place because of the suffering of Christ. And as crazy as it sounds, that swollen face that took so many blows of the Romans' fist and the split lips and the blood that is washing down his face from that sacred head now wounded and the lacerations on his back, everything you need to be healed is because of that. And our happily ever after is secured because of the cross. Doesn't that sound like a crazy story to you? But it's true. On Thursday night, when we were serving the, the homeless people, and, and by the way, I, I think all the time, what an amazing church family we have. We had a backup plan for Thursday night in case it's Thanksgiving that our usual crew could not show up. And it takes us between 20 and 30 people to make that thing happen, and it's Thanksgiving. So we had a backup plan. We had a traveling group that we allowed to spend a couple of three or four nights here in the sanctuary, and well, everywhere. There were 45 of them. They were laying everywhere. It was a traveling Christian group of young people. And 
And so we said, well, if, you, if you're going to stay at our place, how about helping us out on Thursday night? And so they came down to help. We had to dismiss them because so many of you showed up. And so tremendous thanks. You always amaze me. But it was an amazing night all the way around. I did not know as I was talking about tragedy, comedy, and fairy tale exactly why one woman in particular, a homeless lady, there with her husband, was, was on the edge of her seat. Was, he was, she was just drinking it in, and it was like she was straining to hear more about happily ever after and about eternity. And, and, and I didn't understand why her face was changing and, and why she smiled so great at the end, and she joined everybody in clapping about happily ever after. But I found out afterward, Elaine and Kathy and, and um, Cheryl prayed with this lady, and we come to find out afterward that she had been told just a couple of days before, and had told Pastor Michael there at Living Hope that the doctors had given up on her, and she has an awful cancer, and she may live four weeks. And she came terrified. She was terrified at the thought that she had less than a month to live. And so she was riveted as we talked about and considered what it is to live happily ever after. But I will tell you, she did not leave terrified because she's now convinced it's true. There's tragedy and there's comedy. But the good news of Jesus Christ is a fairy tale that is true. It's true. You've been listening to a slightly inspired message from Fairfax Assembly, a different kind of church in Bakersfield, California. Find out more at www.fairfaxassembly.com.